This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We may have as many as four guests on today's program that have been on this show before, which must be some kind of record. Our guest in our second segment today will be William Poundstone. We've been a fan ever since we read his uh, book, Big Secrets, which was followed by Bigger Secrets and Biggest Secrets. He has a new book out we need to talk about. It's titled Priceless, The Myth of Fair Value and How to Take Advantage of It. You're not going to want to miss that, so stay tuned for our second segment. In our third segment today, we may have three public affairs hosts from KDVS join us. We uh, sometimes like to look back at worthy lives, and uh, two people of note have passed in the past month that have some relevance to some of my fellow hosts in public affairs. The first would be that of J.D. Salinger, the celebrated author of The Catcher in the Rye and other books. We expect to be joined by Dr. Andy Jones of Dr. Andy's Poetry and Technology Hour to talk about Mr. Salinger and the passing of Howard Zinn. Howard Zinn's celebrated history book, A People's History of the United States, offers an activist's perspective on history. And uh, we're pleased to be able to note that Dr. Zinn was heard no less than 10 times on this station. In each case, speaking with Franz Kossing of It's About You. If you've heard Franz's show, and we certainly hope that you have, you know that she gives her guests the full hour. You might say that It's About You provided a kind of a mini history course uh, for listeners in the greater Davis area. We look forward to speaking with Franz about her friend, Howard Zinn. And let's face it, after 10 hours of interview, you, you've got to be pals. And lastly, Matt Kaplan, who's not, uh, not a uh, KDVS public affairs person per se, but is heard on this station every Friday at 9 o'clock, I believe, for his excellent Planetary Report. Planetary Report is heard all over the United States. We're pleased uh, that it is uh, heard on this station. And although it's not exactly an obituary, we thought we would talk to Matt about uh, the uh, end of the line, as it were, of the Spirit Rover out on the planet Mars. The rover is still alive, but it looks as though its roving days are over. Lots to come on today's show, but let's begin the program as we like to do with On This Date in History. Our date in question is February 4th. We like to remind listeners every year that there are two R's in February and they're both pronounced. Of course, people have pointed out to me that there are two T's in statistics. Sometimes when I'm in a hurry, I say statistics for some reason. I, I beg your forgiveness for that. But at any rate, it was on February 4th, in the year 211, that the Roman Emperor Septimus Severus died in England, at York, no less, uh, while on campaign. Who knew? On this date in 1789, George Washington, commander of American forces during the Revolutionary War, and of course a pivotal figure in the adoption of the U.S. Constitution, was elected as the first United States president. Six years later, on February 4, 1795, France abolished slavery and conferred citizenship upon those formerly enslaved. Said to think that France accomplished that during George Washington's uh, term as president. This day in 1826, American novelist James Fenimore Cooper published The Last of the Mohicans, perhaps the most famous of his leather-stocking tales. And by the way, if any of you have 
failed to read Mark Twain's The Literary Offenses of James Fenimore Cooper, I highly recommend it. Really kind of sets the bar for literary criticism at a very high level while making you fall out of the chair laughing. Speaking of slavery, it was on February 4th in 1861 when representatives of six southern states met in Montgomery, Alabama to form the Confederate States of America with Mississippian Jefferson Davis at its head. And it was on February 4th in 1945 that Allied leaders convened in the Soviet Union for the Yalta Conference, which anticipated the end of World War II and foreshadowed the Cold War. During the week-long talks, Franklin Roosevelt, Winston Churchill, and Joseph Stalin decided that Germany would be divided after its defeat and that part of Poland would be controlled by the Soviet Union and that the Soviets would declare war on Japan three months after peace was achieved in Europe. Our quote of the day comes from Mark Twain, who said, A person who won't read has no advantage over one who can't read. And what the heck? Let's do a Mark Twain quip of the day, too. How about this one? All generalizations are false, including this one. Our uh, jokes of the day come from Millicent, which are as follows. He said to me, I don't know why you wear a bra. You got nothing to put in it. I said to him, you wear pants, don't you? He said to me, why is it difficult to find men who are sensitive, caring, and good-looking? I said, they already have boyfriends. He said to me, what do you call a woman who knows where her husband is every night? I said to him, a widow. And finally, he said to me, why are married women fatter than single women? I said to him, single women come home, see what's in the fridge, and go to bed. Married women come home, see what's in the bed, and go to the fridge. Our stat of the day, and this one's alarming, according to USA Today, the federal government is now spending $2 for every dollar it takes in. Ladies and gentlemen, don't try this at home. All right, let's jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly, shall we? Right. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for equal opportunity employment. After a British government-run jobs center rejected an ad from a company specifying that applicants, quote, must be very reliable and hardworking, unquote. Apparently, a government official told the company it could get sued for discriminating against unreliable people. Yes, I'm glad that that one does not come from the Only in America file. And it was a bad week for closing the barn doors while the horses are still inside when it was announced that Bristol Palin, the 19-year-old daughter of the former vice presidential candidate, said last week that she'd sworn off premarital sex. She said that she had taken an abstinence pledge because unwed motherhood is so hard. It's just a goal to have, said Bristol. Well, I guess in that family, the apple doesn't fall very far from the tree now, does it? But uh, the point, in case you missed it, for an abstinence pledge was to avoid premarital sex. Avoid, in this case, simply means avoid, not avoid after a pregnancy. And it was an ugly week last week for art appreciation. After a student attending class at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City lost her balance and fell into 
The Actor, a large painting by Pablo Picasso. The student grabbed the canvas and tore the lower right-hand corner, thereby, according to reports, reducing its value from $130 million to $65 million. You know, that, might, that should be our bonus stat of the day. A Picasso in the Museum of Modern Art is worth $130 million. Yes, we'll be talking about valuations, uh, sane and otherwise, uh, with William Poundstone. Well, we have two, uh, two bonus ugly bits of news for this section. It was an ugly week last week, part one, for reading books after Laredo, Texas lost its only bookstore. That was a B. Dalton located in a mall. Now, reportedly the closest bookstore to the city's 250,000 inhabitants is 150 miles away in San Antonio. And as much as we enjoy looking down our nose at Texas, we have to report sadly that it was an ugly week last week for Reading Books Part 2 when it was reported that a California elementary school temporarily removed the Merriam-Webster Collegiate Dictionary from classrooms after one parent complained that it defined the term oral sex. Reportedly, Merriam-Webster's 10th edition, which had been used for the past few years for 4th and 5th grade classrooms in the Menifee Union School District, was pulled from shelves over fears that the, quote, sexually graphic, unquote, entry is, quote, just not age-appropriate, unquote. If you're keeping track, the dictionary's definition of the term is oral stimulation of the genitals. Apparently, Britain's Guardian newspaper contacted district spokeswoman Betty Cadmus, who said, it's hard to sit and read the dictionary, but we'll be looking to find other things of a graphic nature. Apparently, one father, Jason Rogers, told the local press, you have to draw the line somewhere. What are they going to do next? Pull encyclopedias because they list parts of human anatomy like the penis and vagina? Reportedly, a panel is now reviewing whether the Menifee ban will be made permanent. And no, we don't know whether they plan to burn any of the books that they, uh, they may ban. All right, a couple items from the goofball file. This one. Osama bin Laden, the leader of al-Qaeda, blamed the United States and developed countries for not halting climate change and said that the global economy should immediately abandon its reliance on the American dollar. Now there's a guy we should listen to, don't you think? Here's one I love. Many people in Argentina reacted with surprise last week after Cristina Fernandez, Argentina's president, promoted pork in a speech during which she not only said pork is better than Viagra, but suggests she's personally proven it. Reportedly, Fernandez, in a meeting with representatives of the swine industry of Argentina, said, I didn't know that eating pork improved sexual activity. It's much more gratifying to eat some grilled pork than to take Viagra. She even joked that it was all good after she enjoyed some pork with her husband, former president Nestor Kirchner. According to the Associated Press, Amando Bechara, a specialist in sexual dysfunction, told the website of the paper La Nación, there is no study showing that pork meat significantly improves sexual activity. All this, of course, raised some eyebrows in Argentina, where uh, the populace uh, are among the world's biggest consumers of beef. And by the way, Cristina Fernandez ran for president of Argentina because 
Her husband, Nestor Kirchner, was restricted from doing so by their equivalent of term limits. Of course, over in Japan, not to be outdone by some of the wackiness in Argentina, it was noted that the wife of Japanese premier-in-waiting, Yukio Hayatoma, that would be his wife, Miyuku, said that she uh, believes she's had a close encounter with aliens. Writing in a book published last year, she said, While my body was asleep, I think my soul rode on a triangular-shaped UFO and went to Venus. It was a very beautiful place, and it was really green. We would note that both NASA, the European Space Agency, and the Russian Space Agency have been unable to provide any corroborating data to the suggestion that Venus is a green place. In fact, according to the best evidence of space scientists, the surface roasts at about 800 degrees Fahrenheit. Of course, we love the way Reuters reported this story. Miyuku, 66, described the extraterrestrial experience, which she said took place 20 years ago, in a book entitled Very Strange Things I've Encountered. When she awoke, Japan's next first lady told her ex-husband that she'd just been to Venus. He advised her that it was probably just a dream. She wrote, her current husband, that's the Japanese premier-to-be, has a different way of thinking. He would surely say, oh, that's great. The next paragraph. Yukio Hayatoma, 62, the rich grandson of a former prime minister, was once nicknamed the alien for his prominent eyes. As our pal Will Durst might say, you just can't make some of this stuff up. Will Durst, of course, is America's foremost political comic, and we're delighted to be able to bring him to you. We know he's going to want to weigh in on the president's first year in office. Well, thanks, Doug. And today I'm going to throw my two cents into the whole how was Obama's first year debate. Now, granted, history's going to give the ultimate grade, and you'd have to be a fool to judge an entire presidency based on 12 months. However, it's not only instructional, but also a lot of fun to produce a quarter-term report card, so here goes. English, B+. Good understanding of vocabulary words and the ability to use them. Nice having a president when he speaks with a foreign leader, the other guy isn't more eloquent in English as a second language. History, C+. Apparently wasn't paying attention during the Clinton healthcare instructional back in 93. Looks like we're going to be forced to repeat this class every 16 years. Geography, A+. Displays exceptional work habits. Visited more countries in the first year than any other president in history. Most of that was necessary to rebuild a few hundred bridges torched by a predecessor who shall remain nameless. Mathematics, incomplete. Seems to be working with a malfunctioning abacus. Further review by Professors Bernanke and Geithner is not expected to help very much. African American Studies, B+, has an innate understanding of the subject. Business, C-, needs to increase speed and comprehension, tends to allow himself to be bullied by the louder students. Physics, C-, is unable to grasp rudimentary concepts like how every action affecting Congress will have an equal, opposite, and totally disagreeable reaction. Creative writing, A-, exhibits enormous creativity, sometimes gets carried away and confuses the other students. Home economics, C. Shows initiative, thinks things through for himself, but he's got to come up with a more encouraging phrase than, we're losing jobs at a much slower pace. Penmanship, 
satisfactory. It leaves very few fingerprints. Semantics, B+, is a conscientious worker. No matter what you think of his policies, you have to admire his ability not to get involved in them. Homeroom conduct, cooperative, well-mannered, plays well with others, learning how to deal with class disruptions. General comments, demonstrates tremendous potential and is working towards achieving it, has problems accepting responsibility, needs to work on leadership qualities. So overall, I give him a B-. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst, Professor Will Durst. Always a pleasure to hear from our own Professor of Political Science. Let's take a short break and talk to author William Poundstone about his new book, Priceless. Daniel Kahneman, Professor Emeritus at Princeton and winner of the 2002 Nobel Prize in Economics, said... Priceless is an instructive and entertaining romp through recent research on decision-making, which will leave you amused, smarter, and wondering about what money and prices really mean. Stay tuned for that. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. Radio Parallax. 